I say yes to the frequencies of faith. I say yes. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God it's good to be back in this space today. It is good to have been under the ministry and the teaching and the preaching, the sharing of stories in this house um, all of this year. It's hard to believe that this is my first Sunday back because it feels like no time at all has passed. How about you? Like, it doesn't feel like it just, I feel like Happy New Year. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like Happy New Year. Like, I'm finally ready to start, I think. I think. I still might be revving up my engine some, but this, uh, um, Jessica, do, do we have the slideshow? We do. Hallelujah. 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 Stay there with me, Jessica, just for a moment, and we'll get to that. Thank you for making that possible. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, and as we understand, there are different calendars that are going cyclically um, all at the same time. And so what we understand today, culturally, it is Super Bowl Sunday, right? But then there's another calendar, the church calendar, the religious calendar, that says it's Transfiguration Sunday. And... Uh, <laughs> Today is the final Sunday um, after Epiphany, and Epiphany is the sacred season in which God's light is revealed in the world. Uh, it's the time we emphasize that and celebrate that when glory is made manifest. The spiritual flow of these winter seasons are awaiting light in the darkness, so we had Advent, all right, uh, leading up to preparing the way, journeying into and through the darkness with, uh, with hope and joy and peace and love as we enter into that season of mystery and light in the darkness. And then Christmas, light overcoming darkness. And following the light to its glorious source is the epiphany, this arc this arc of light, as remember we lit the candles with the Advent wreath over here at the beginning of Christmas, and then we kind of peek at Christmas, and then the 12 days of Christmas actually start on the 25th, and we go through the 12 days of Christmas into an epiphany, and then finally into Candlemas. There's a lesser-known holiday in the church calendar um, where we are we have now um, emphasizing we have received the light, and now we're going to take our light into the world. And today is the last day of that. Today is the last day of Epiphany, and then we start Lent. And so Lent is that season in which we, um, in the church calendar, are emphasizing the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness after he was baptized in the river, and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and, and uh, the voice that spoke from the heavens, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And immediately, the scripture says, he was driven into the wilderness. Just when you thought you had a good day, and then you get driven <laughs> into, into wilderness, into fasting. It's like, but I, just, I thought I was your favorite, <laughs> and now I'm driven um, to be tested um, in the wilderness. And that's what Lent is, is all about. But today is Transfiguration Sunday. 
Um, and the lectionary is changing. In these times, the lectionary mood kind of shifts. The mists are gathering. Uh, we're moving toward Lent. And this tradition on this Sunday is to remember the transfiguration. Now, uh, in this particular community, there's a lot uh, to be said around the word trans. And I especially love this word and love um, what this means for us and that um, Jesus had his own trans moment, trans day. Um, I would like to just take it so far as to say, yeah, Jesus was the first trans, but, you know, it's not really the, the you know, as we think of trans, um, but the transfiguration means to take something and make it more beautiful. Hey, how about that? To take what is, to take the raw materials of a thing and make it more beautiful. Or when you hear the word transmutation, when you transmute something, is to take that raw materials and then it transmutes into a story. And I want to talk to you today about storytelling and about transfiguration. Uh, I found uh, we're going to be talking about editing and meaning making, the way in which we tell our stories and tell about events and moments that have happened in our lives uh, following the track of what happened on that mountain of transfiguration. I found a great edit to a commonly used idiom that some think comes from the Bible, but it actually doesn't. How many know that some idioms that we ascribe to the Bible ain't really in the Bible, okay? Like, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. Bleh. Everybody say it, bleh. Um, God will not give you more than you can handle. That's crap. Uh, it does not come from the Bible. Um, but I found an edit. Some of you may have seen my Facebook post. The edit now reads, God will help you walk through the unthinkable. You, will, you, you were never meant to handle it alone. Come on. I like that a lot better. Some other idioms and cliches that I don't like very much is, well, God must have needed another rose in heaven. Everybody go, ugh. No, I mean, well-meaning and well-intended folk trying to help people out in their time of grief when they don't have answers and they give up all this false stuff. Um, there's some other ones, but we won't linger there. Um, I'd love to walk us through this scripture with a slideshow today showing some artwork of different cultures that have depicted um, how they see the transfiguration. Um, this uh, text today comes from Mark 9 two through nine, um, and go ahead and advance, and we'll read it together and look at, the, uh, look at the slides together, and I will change this right here. As they continued walking, um, that is not it, go ahead. Yeah. No, you're fine, just keep on moving. There we go. Everybody say, Jessica, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Yep, yeah, you, did, you get it. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah 
with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. All right, we did it. Mark, let's go ahead and go through some of the artwork as depicted there. If you have some of those slides, I just want you to see some of these things. Elijah, this is coming from the king's account because the lectionary kind of goes over thematically, but this is Elijah taken up into heaven, early 5th century, Santa Sabina, Rome, Italy. Sunsets, the sky ablaze, Spencer, something, something, wildlife refuge, meant to make you feel calm, evidently. There you go. Jesus in the Last Supper, an interesting depiction. Transfigured, a glass etching, Church of St. Berinus. Transfiguration, Kelly Lattimore in Glendale, Ohio. Interesting. Ooh, I like this one, Transfiguration of Jesus Icon. And remember, sit, stay there for just a moment. This reminds us of our other Rublev, uh, our table icon, yeah? Same kind of colors in this, in this artwork um, where the Trinity is shown at the table and then the mirror was at the table and we get to see ourselves at the table joining the Trinity. Um, it just looks a lot like that with the colors of the, the green and the blues, the golds. And remembering that an icon is something through which the light shines, whereas an idol is something through that the light is blocked. Yeah, Idols are blocking light. Icons are distributing light. And um, Christina's um, son, soon-to-be son-in-law made this for me right after I preached that message on the uh, the icons and the idols and if you put a light behind this would he make this on his um 3d printer or something and you shine a light behind this and you can really see um the last supper here which i thought was really cool and hank um after that sermon as well got a mirror for us at the communion table to see ourselves belonging and welcome at the table Transfiguration of Christ, again, three figures um, up top. So we see the, the, the Christ figure in the dazzling white, always in Bible language. That just means that that's really holy stuff, super, super holy. Um, sadly, we use uh, light and dark language to indicate, and it's a sad thing, and it's something that I believe that just language is starting to um, reinvent and reclaim how we use light and dark language to better um, support light and dark skin light and dark, um, lighter and darker skin. And the, uh, it's interesting, but anyway, in biblical literature, white would just indicate that this is a holy uh, moment. And then with Moses and Elijah standing there, 
and then Peter, James, and John um, looking. And Peter's got to be always theatrical. You know, he's up there like, what are we going to do? And, you know, you have this idea. <laughs> Remember the old cliche that says, don't just, stand, don't just do something, stand there. Because <laughs> in this case, <laughs> he went ahead and acted too hastily. He's like, oh, it's good that we're here, that we got to see this, because now, ooh, you get added to the lineup. Jesus gets to be added to the lineup of our uh, Moses and Elijah, right? The Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. So um, the Elijah and the prophets, this is obviously a story that is trying to emphasize and accentuate the uniqueness of the Christ figure, the uniqueness of the Christ figure. Um, scripture, ooh, we hadn't seen that one. That's cool. Mu Museum of Fine Arts, Nancy France. Sounds like fancy pants. Nancy, Nancy France. That's cool. Well, which one do y'all want to have up while we're looking? I think we should have that, the gold and the blues, the one that looked like the other icon, Jess, if we could have. Yeah, let's, let's land there, and then Jess and Hank come and join us. Give Jess a good hand. A round of applause. So I want to talk to you today about uh, the story uh, telling and the meaning making that we um, use to talk about and describe events in our own lives and how I have been intimately uh, in, in relationship with the transfiguration story um, this week. The scripture itself opens with the speaking God. In the beginning, let there be light. He spoke and there was light. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters. And God said, and God blessed them. And God said to them, and God said, it is very good. We see the speaking God. The Psalms hearken back to this creative power. The Lord, the God of gods, has spoken. He has called the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Our God will come and will not keep silence. He calls the heavens and the earth from above. And the transfiguration itself is a miracle of speaking. And with speaking comes seeing. When we speak, we create with our imagination concepts and figures and ideas. Having this artwork may be something very different from what you had imagined that transfiguration mountain to look like. And it invites us to be in relationship with what really happened. I want to go into some more detail about a vision and a story that is close to my heart and one that I have shared pieces of throughout this last 370 days or so. It is a story that you've heard me talk about, but I come to you in a very different spirit today to speak to you about a different part of this story that you might be familiar with because I've mentioned it before. One of the reasons that I like the liturgical calendar for the church here is it sets us in time, in set and setting, as my wife would say, 
and it allows us to return to the same space in a different way. It attaches us to memory and to meaning-making, to ritual. Every time you come to this communion table every week, you have the opportunity to remind yourself that you're a person of forgiveness. And perhaps in your quiet time, on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, you may have let 5% more of some forgiveness happen in your life, and you might arrive to this table next Sunday saying, I let that go a little bit more this week. Every time you arrive to the water and the rocks or to the cards or the candles, you arrive just a little bit differently. But it's the same season of time. So this story relates to transfiguration because I have been doing some healing of my own. Last year, myself along with many of you, we went ahead and broke ties with the Isle of Anhedonia. The Isle of Anhedonia, a place that had kept me captive in depression for a couple of years. And when my therapist used the word anhedonia as a clinical term, meaning unable to experience joy, <laughs> I said, write that word down for me on a piece of paper because I want to remember that. And he said, yeah, it's called anhedonia. It's a clinical term unable to receive joy. So that sounds about right. That sounds like me from the end of 2020 to the, about the beginning of 2023. Some of that had to do with my loss of smell and taste, okay? Because I was literally unable to receive serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin from the senses around me. So some of it was that. Literally not able to receive. Um, the Isle of Anhedonia had kept me hostage there, captive, and we sailed away from that from December of 2022 to April, I think it was April 20th of 2023. My therapist gave me the test, and I was quantifiably over the severest part of that depression. Hallelujah. And began to feel some things again. February 3rd, 2023, my parents called me at 10 a.m. in the morning. It was a Friday. And my dad and my mom were on speakerphone, and they said, we've got some very hard news to share with you. And I turned into pastor mode at that moment because I thought they were going to tell me they had, the cancer had come back because we just walked with through both of them, colon cancer and breast cancer. So I thought, oh, we've got another disease to walk through or another diagnosis. I said, Dad, take your time. Take your time. It's okay. He's crying. He's crying. My mom is quiet. That's unusual. That was a joke. Uh, Usually when mom and dad are on speakerphone, dad doesn't get a word in edgewise, it's mom. Uh, and I lead them through the conversation, and I, I was just kind of being pastoral with my parents. I, I was like, it's okay, take your time, I'm here, I'm listening, you've got my full attention. 
And he said, I've had a vision. I had a vision in the night. God woke me up and God told me to stop talking to you and to break relationship with you. My heart kind of sank and my throat was in a knot. I mean, it was just a lump in my throat. I let out a, <laughs> a sigh like that. And he said, um, I have been up most of the night and um, this is just really unusual and I, I've seen this vision and I God told me not to talk to you. And um, and and we won't resume relationship with you until you divorce your wife, close your church down, and renounce your sexual orientation. And I said, well, I don't understand. What does this mean? You, you just really, we're not going to have relationship anymore? Like, we're not going to talk anymore? Bonnie, we don't want you to ask any questions. We don't want to talk about this. This is very too painful for us. And they hung up on me. And that's the last time I heard my mother and father's voice was that Friday morning about 10:15, February 3rd, 2023. Now, that felt like a, dis, a disinheriting moment, a disowning and a rejection, full stop rejection from a relationship that I've been used to having for 45 years. I went through all of the grief of that, week after week after week, and you know it, you saw it, you witnessed it, you heard me, you held me, and I have you that walked through the portal of grief and sorrow of that loss and that rejection. What one feels when one is rejected, disowned, disinherited by one's family, what does one feel? Unworthy, unwanted, disposable, undesirable, lacking security. Where do I come from? Where am I now? Where am I going? It's an ambiguous grief, my therapist tells me. It's like when a parent loses a child not to death but to kidnapping. The child is still alive but is not in your presence. It's called an ambiguous grief because you don't know where they are. They could show up at any moment, but you're still grieving their loss, but they're still alive as far as you know. My parents are still alive. They live 25 minutes right up next to Kelly Kemp and them. They live right up the road. They're real people that are having bacon and eggs right now in their house. Because they don't go to church, as it turns out. Not that that matters. So I walked through the grief and all of those feelings I felt I'm sure you've had moments like this where relationships have been cut off, 
either at your behest or not. Maybe a breakup, a grief that you've walked through that wasn't your fault, or maybe it was. Relationships being cut off and meaning being made about the break is really where I want to get. See, Dad said that God gave him a vision that, I, that he was not supposed to talk to me until, and then gave three things I had to do in order to be back in relationship with them. And I believed it. So I think I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm never going to see them again. Last two weeks, because it's the anniversary, because February 3rd was the anniversary, the Lord began to do something with me that was quite exhilarating and a little bit unexpected and totally mysterious. It was like waves of the sea coming onto the shore of my soul, wave after wave, not crashing to knock me down, but wave after wave like healing. Like everywhere I looked, I saw healing. Everywhere I... I, it was like I was seeing myself differently and I was beginning to get a vision for myself that I could actually walk away from that rejection and being discarded and walk away with a new sense of worth. Like it actually began to sink into my soul and into my spirit because of the words that some of you have spoken over me and my relationship with my wife and our daughter and with my chosen family. There's a scripture, lesser known scripture, that Bob loves to tell me and he has told me for eight years and I never internalized it until this year. When the disciples came to Jesus and he said, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus responds to them and says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And the disciples are like, like, like Mary and like James and like the ones that you live with don't play with us right now. And Jesus is saying, well, actually, I'm trying to tell you guys that it's not about your blood line. I'm trying to tell you that it's about your spirit, and it's about who you are connected to in your spirit. I'm really telling you this for your good, born not of bloods, but of the spirit, John 1 says. The word made flesh, and, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, who was born not of bloods, but of spirit. And there's a whole thing about blood and water that we could go into. Ask Bob about it. He would love to share it. So I began to see something different in this story because, no, I took it as it was told to me. And I, and I was like, God, how could you? I went through all the stages of grief. How could you have given my dad a vision? Okay, you didn't give my dad a vision. It wasn't you. It was a different spirit. Well, how would a different spirit get? I mean, I have been all over the map with how did this happen? How did my dad's chemicals and my dad's brain create a moment for him? I mean, I went all the way just biological. I went spiritual. I went, okay, this was a totally different spirit that gave him a vision because there's no way in the world any parent should reject their children for any reason. So this had to be another spirit. This wasn't even God at all. In reading this transfiguration story and 
sitting with healing and really having a desire to move on and to move forward and to move into 2024, a year like never before, to move into it with a sense and a felt sense of release and relief, not, a, not the baggage of rejection and disownership and being disposable, but a sense of worth and power and confidence. I wanted that. Well, I shaved my head. I don't know why I shaved my head that day. Three weeks ago on a Sunday night, I looked at Tamara and I said, you know what I want to do? And I had mentioned that I wanted to shave my head, but I wasn't thinking that thought at that moment. We were watching TV on a Sunday and I said, you know what I, what I want to do? And I was going to say something about traveling somewhere. But she said, shave your head. And I was like, yeah. I kind of lied-ish. I lied a little bit. Like, yeah, because I did, but I didn't want to do it at that moment. And then she said, do you want to do it right now? I said, yeah. We got the clippers, we went in the bathroom, and we shaved my head. Okay. This is what I didn't expect. I look just like my dad with this haircut. I saw myself in a reflection of a window. And I saw him. I was not expecting to see my dad. I saw him for the first time in a whole year. I look just like him. And I heard the Holy Spirit through a mentor of mine, Carmen White Yannick. Many of you know her, a beautiful minister and spiritual advisor to me through the years. She said, Bonnie, your parents took you as far as they could. Now let the Spirit take you all the way. Let that settle into your heart for the relationships that you have. Your parents took you as far as they could. Now let the Spirit take you all the way. And she sang me a song. Let the Spirit lead you. Let the Spirit lead you. Let the Spirit lead you all the way. Away from earth to heaven let the spirit lead you all the way because he's a mighty good leader he's a mighty good leader he's a mighty good leader all the way all the way from earth to heaven. That comforted me some. But that day, a few weeks ago, when I saw the reflection in the window and my dad was there, a compassion that I had never had before entered up into my heart. Because I heard the Holy Spirit say, now, Bonnie, I want you to take him all the way. See, my dad stopped himself short 
My dad's religious views of people and of God caused him to put a lid on his container far sooner than he ever needed to. My dad was first shamed by his mother when he exclaimed to her, I love the color purple. And his sisters and mother said, color purple is not for boys. The color purple is for girls. Dad was cut short, hemmed in, limited. And the first time in my journey of healing with my parents, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, I want you to take him farther than he could have taken himself. I want you to take him, embody him, take him farther. It was the first time I felt a real sense of compassion for my dad. Moving on. I began to wonder and think about the ways in which we sometimes can attribute with our words a sense of shame to something or a sense of honor. Things can be tricky that way. I began to think about the mark of Cain. I know, weird, but the mark of Cain. How the Bible says that the mark of Cain was actually for Cain's protection. But the scripture also says that he was banished from God's presence because he was the first murderer. He was the first murderer. He killed his brother Abel, and he was banished from God's presence. But Cain cried out, the scripture said, and said, this punishment is too hard for me. People are going to kill me. So God, in God's mercy, put a mark upon Cain. And the Hebrew isn't exactly explicit what the mark is, but it's some kind of mark either on the hand or on the, on the head that would indicate that if anybody touches Cain, they would pay seven times for that. See, in some Bible interpretations in Christian and Jewish tradition, some of them would say this is a badge of shame, and others say it's a badge of honor. There's two ways you can see it because it says both. I think timing's important on it. But I begin to think about the mark of Cain and what would happen when somebody saw a mark like that. So the, the, the text says, and the, it, based on what the tradition was at that time, it could have even been something like the color of their skin is what they want. Some traditions have wanted to make it about skin color. I don't believe that is true. Some would say it, that he had a dog with him. This is how far the interpretation goes in the culture that they, he would have a mark with him and that might even have meant a dog that he was given a, like, I don't know, a, a therapy dog? I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about, but um, a service dog? <laughs> Here, everybody will know you have special needs with you with, when Jenny's there with you. Jenny is Susan's dog. I begin to think about that mark and how, depending on who you are and how you interpret a thing, it could either be a badge of honor or a sign of shame. Now see, with my shaved head, going into radiation with Tamara every day, some might think I'm there as an ally with a chemo patient. Maybe I'm in solidarity with someone going through cancer. Maybe I, if I'm seen out in the world, perhaps somebody thinking, I'm coming through chemo. How about that, right? So it could be seen as a sign of triumph, could be seen as a gender expression. 
You get where I'm coming from. There's an interpretation that everybody puts on it. And when I'm with Jennifer, Jennifer Brown, and Jennifer doesn't have on, and we talk about hair a lot, and Jennifer is very willing to talk about this in this space. And I love, I love what you have on today. It's so beautiful. Um, but when I'm with Jennifer, and Jennifer sat with me at the double shot, and both of us with our buzz cuts heads, we got a lot of stares. We got a lot of people looking at us because Jennifer's so beautiful. And, and it was probably like, well, you know, are they both going through chemo? What's going on? What's the story? See, we make meaning when we see symbols and we see marks and signs. These diverse explanations from the badge of shame, some would say the sacred name of God, God put upon Cain, the way we tell our stories, the words we use to describe the moments of our days, I begin to allow the Holy Spirit to rewrite the vision that my dad had that night. What if my dad did get a vision from God? If my father God arrested my dad in the night and said, stop talking to her. Stop telling her she's disgusting. Stop telling her she's deceived. Stop telling her she needs to change what she's built. Stop telling her she's not good enough. What if my daddy God got on top of my daddy daddy and said stop the nonsense right now? Because, see, the interpretation that came later to what happened, he put the conditions on it. My dad put the conditions on the vision that God actually gave to him. He said, now, now this is what I think it means, Peter and James and John says. Now it's so good that we're here. We're going to build three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. I don't want to be alongside the law and the prophets anymore. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Don't just stack me up next to everything else in your category that you have for people like me. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Even now, it's springing forward. Dad put the conditions on the vision that he saw. How many times in our own lives have we seen and heard things that absolutely were from God? But then we add our interpretation onto them, add our conditions onto them. Come on, people have been doing this since Abraham and Sarah. God said, out of your loins. You're going to have as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And so Abraham and Sarah went, well, the only way we know how to do that is to go into Hagar, our maidservant. We don't know how to get this done. God has spoken. God has promised. And now we go into fix-it mode and into solution mode and solve-it mode. And how are we going to get this done? God said it. I got to do it. God said it. I better get it in motion. 
I began to sit with that and some healing, like the waves of the ocean began to pour into my soul. I began to see myself. I was like, what if my God stood up for me to my little dad, to my little daddy, and dad got it wrong? (laughs) On the mountain, Peter saw something amazing, but misconstrued its meaning. He jumped too quickly into speaking of the vision. He jumped to conclusions about what he saw. I'm asking this house to pause. I'm asking you to rethink the moments in your life where you have applied meaning and have told that story over and over again, applying the meaning and the condition on the thing that happened to you. I wonder if today there is a moment in your life that you would like to edit. I wonder if there is a moment in your life that you need to stand on that mountain with the other parts of the, of this of the story Peter James John Elijah Moses Jesus I wonder if you sat with that moment long enough and the characters that are there for me my mountain is it's me mom and dad Who are the characters on your mountain Me go ahead Katie and come please thank you Me, mom, and dad. The story is not complete until we meditate on it enough to where we only hear the voice of, this is my beloved son, hear him. Elijah and Moses' voices were still speaking on that mountain in conjunction with Jesus's. And until we meditate on the truth of the vision and we only get what God says about us and what Jesus is saying to us, and it's no longer the law and what the prophets of religion have said. It's no longer the artificial limitations and architecture that have put God out and put others in and lifted up some and put down others until we stay with the mountain of our own transfiguration and the characters begin to only say what God says. We haven't sat with it long enough. I am inviting this house to sit with moments. Perhaps it's time to retell a moment. I went back to that February 3rd morning. I took the conditions. I took the feelings. I took my wondering. And I let them stay with me for a full year. And when the Holy Spirit finally spoke to me and to my heart in a way that I could hear it, and help me see the picture differently.
the only one left standing on my transfiguration mountain is Jesus. Mom and dad's religious voice is losing its power over my life. I wonder if something in your life could be reimagined today. I wonder if an event in your life that you have told over and over again could use an edit. I wonder if the way you speak to yourself about what you did Come on, all my saints and angels. I wonder if the way you speak to yourself about what you did could use some compassion, such as, I did the best I could at the time. I made decisions, and other people made decisions too. Instead of drawing conclusions about that decision you made in that deal, how about relaxing the interpretation and just simply describing it? Maybe that sexual encounter that you had, that you regret, perhaps that needs a little love and comp compassion. Science says right now that we have about 70,000 thoughts that run through our brain in a day. And 80% of them are used on regretting the past and fearing the future. I wonder if some of those places, some 50, some odd thousand thoughts could use an edit. I wonder if some compassion could be poured into the left and right hemispheres of our brain to allow ourselves to be free from the moments and the mysteries that create our worth and identity. As we enter into the sacred time of interactive worship, I would love for somebody to get 5% more free from a moment that has bound you. I know that I am telling my story differently I'm telling my story differently so much so I don't know when I'm going to grow this hair back. I'm going to keep on walking by mirrors and windows and seeing dad and having more and more compassion for him. Because I'm going to be living on a forgiveness frequency, a frequency of faith. How about you? There are journaling cards up here if you would like to take a journaling card, write yourself a note. Perhaps you haven't looked in this basket for a long time and you want to pick up a note that you wrote to yourself at another time. You can also worship with money. Um, love that. Um, would worship um, there in the boxes there. Or you can do Cash App, Venmo, or, uh, or Tithely. You can come up here and light a candle. Maybe the light would mean something different for you today. Maybe it's a light in the part of a story that needs a little bit more clarity. She would come and light a candle. The worry stones are there, and also um, the cards are there for your taking. Um, and then when you're finished with the interactive worship and you want to come and take up the communion, we have um, gluten-free communion today. It's all gluten-free, and we also have prepackaged. 